You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. The Running Public is brought to you exclusively by VJ Shoes. My ratio of choice, Kirk's ratio of choice. If you're heading off trail, this is the shoe you want on your foot. That's right. You know what I like about my VJ Shoes, Bracken? Preach at me, Kirk. Nothing locks my foot in better than my VJ Shoes. For technical terrain, muddy terrain, steep ascents or descents, my foot is secure. I trust my grip. There's no other shoe to go with. Best grip on the planet. Get yourself some. You almost missed our podcast start time because you had to take out the garbage. Carrie! Wow, I just started recording two seconds ago. What good timing. (laughs) Okay, well, I saw that it was, I was supposed to be on 10 minutes before, and I was like, oh no. Where did you see that? I think it was like in like the fine print, because I read the fine print, people. Well, we appreciate that. (laughs) I have never read that. I thought I read it. I might not have. Do you know you're our second guest? Oh my goodness. Wow, that's pretty exciting. I didn't put on lipstick or do my makeup for you, though. Can you see my lipstick? Is it really bright on that end? My mom always said wear a little lipstick, so I do. <laughs> Bracken goes by that philosophy, too. <laughs> More just cover-up. I try to bring some color to my face. Yeah, Bracken, what's your last name again? Crocker. I So I did all the announcing on you back in the day. Yes. So that, that's what I was going to ask you later. But if you had remembered that little podunk production you oh did. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, we have lots of stories there. Like, I did one of your races five days after having giving birth to my second child. I that's seriously awesome. looked like Dolly Parton. I was a mess. <laughs> and I think you did my brother. You did one of mine and my brother. Yeah, what was your well. brother's name? Macaulay. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember Macaulay as much as I remember yours because I did a lot of yours. Oh gosh, that was so bad. You know, that all went down and like, I didn't get paid for like three of those gigs. Like it was bad. Hold on. What races were these that you, uh, you commented? They were, um, well, they were tough mutters basically, but like a different, you know, like a different, I guess, chain. It was like a lower level race. Much. You know, you want to know what, this kind of hurts my feelings because Carrie, I thought I had known you first. And, but I guess Bracken and you go further back. You know, we never know. we never actually interacted. No. I raced and then post-production she commentated. Yeah, on. and it was really hard to commentate on, to be honest. It was not good stuff. Well, it was, one, it was really low, but they, I thought they did a good job with the budget they had. They did some cool things with it, but this was a mom and pop race, Kirk. Yeah. And it was, like, here's the level of it. They emailed me beforehand. They're like, hey, we're trying to get someone to come to our race. So <laughs> come do it. I said, yeah, but sure, sure. my wife, I want my wife to do it too. She's never done one of these races. She's a decent runner. Like I want to convince her to They're like, fine. Yeah. She can have free entry too. And we'll like give you a little something for showing up, but you have to wear a GoPro during the race. <laughs> you were like, one of those guys. Like, I will absolutely not. Do uh-huh. That is the, like, you can't be a bigger tool than wearing a GoPro strapped to your forehead during. Oh the yeah. It wasn't even like on your chest. So you could kind of. No. And I 
did it. They handed it to me at the start line and there were like cameras looking at me and I couldn't like right. say no. So I, I ran the whole race with a GoPro strapped oh to my phone. My forehead. gosh, I don't remember that one either, but I was so embarrassed. You are such a loser. <laughs> I was and it, we did the production in Fargo. So I would drive to Fargo in the morning, do the production all day, drive home. What was that like? Were you just like in someone's No, like, it was an act it was bedroom? a really nice studio actually. It was we had a green screen that we did some of the stand-ups in front of, you know, and then um we just sat in this nice studio and recorded. Like we're not using any of this, right? Maybe. I don't know. We might. You can tell us anything you don't want in, we'll cut it out. <laughs> we keep this casual. We like to casually roll in and then just jump in okay. wherever it makes sense. Sounds so good. something we need you to update though. So you see in the bottom left hand corner of our uh screen, we have our own names. My name is faster than Bracken, and Bracken's name is hotter oh, than Kirk. My. Oh my obviously lies. So what is your customized name? Oh my Carrie? gosh. Um these are the PG versions when we do our test recordings. They, they were different. We had to, we had to tell ah, it down. No. It's Although Kirk, Kirk informed me that, that you are probably the quick, most quick witted and most inappropriate out of us. So, <laughs> well, you Just know, saying. the conversations that happen on the run and that's where Kirk and I have most of our conversations is when we're running. Cause yeah. yeah. So I would have to that's say I'm faster than both of you. Boom. Zing. Boom. Just you know, you're not, but. Well, maybe let, let's 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 roll some PRs out there. Obviously, okay. So you're let's do a little stat line first. Uh, so Carrie is U.S. Olympian in the 1500 meters, five-time high school cross-country state champion, U.S. cross-country, uh, USA 4K cross-country national champion, and I'm sure I'm missing some other things in there. But now you have to intro your PRs. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, this is hard because at the you know ripe age of 43, which I just turned. Mm -hmm. Happy birthday. Oh, thanks. You can do lifetime PRs. You don't have to do Yeah, current. no, it's just, it's crazy to think like how long ago it was. But I ran 1504 for the 5K. Um, 1500 meters is 406, but my mile PR is, I guess, a 427. And okay. just ran a new yep. PR in the marathon as an old lady. I ran 256. Like, seriously, I have to think about that because I, I'm not, the, those times to me, like for me are not real. Uh, I mean, I've only done two of them. So I think it was 251.56. Where did you run that? That's at amazing. grandma's or grandma's at Twin yeah. Cities. What am I saying? The next, next one in Minnesota I'm going to is grandma's, but uh, I ran Twin Cities. So you're taking your, you're taking your racing a little more seriously again these days. Well, huh? you know, I, I wanted to break three hours because my husband, Charlie, his house record was 301. And the only time I had run a marathon before that was four months after having my second baby. And actually, Kirk, I think we did a strength session before that way back in the day. And 2013, yeah, I yep. looked. So that was right after Everett. And so I ran that marathon just kind of for fun. And this time around, I'm like, I'm going to get Charlie's record and see what I can do. And I didn't really train like you would properly train probably for a marathon that you're trying to set a PR in, but I trained pretty hard. Uh, I have this thing called the long run challenge and I really like it. And I'm starting to think like this, there's something to it. I usually start at 10 miles and then I work my way up every week. I add a mile to my long run and then I get to 20 miles. So it's about 11 weeks. And I'm telling you, it's crazy. I can maintain or get faster on those long runs the entire journey and 
I did that this time around and I really think there's something to it. So I'm starting to train some people that way and we'll see what happens. I did do a 22 miler. So I went up to 20, came down, did a 22 miler and, um, and then ran a pretty fast, you know, marathon. Was that your plan in marathon prep to that? I mean, that this plan would just be for somebody building to a marathon. Well, no, I've been now using it for half marathon plans as well. So I'll start them. I train this group called moms on the run and there's about 2000 runners around the country. And so I write their half marathon plans, also their 5k and 10k plans. And I'm starting with the half marathon too, where I start them out. Most of them are new runners or they've never run a half marathon or a marathon. So I get them to the point where, you know, three miles, four miles is pretty easy. And then we'll start at four and bump up every week as well. So I like that. it's, it's kind of easy to just wrap your brain around, right? Like every week, just one more mile. And then you get to that peak and you're like, yes, I did it. Can have a down week and then get after it a couple more times. Well, Kirk and I are both believers in speed extension. So I think we're both on board with lengthening the reps. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kirk, of her PRs, how many yeah. can you beat? I know you haven't beat 1504. Sure I have, but not recently. Yes, see? What's your I haven't either. I ran I ran in the 1440s in Did college. You really? Like 40. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm the slowest 5K runner here. I had one I only ran it once on the track outdoors on a windy day, and it was like a 1510 or something. So she had me there. But yeah, mine was a perfect race. And that was in yeah. 2004. Now I run 18 minuters. <laughs> oh, you're faster than that. You run you run 18 minuters on your way to a marathon no. now. But Bracken, you run over and under and around things. So you, yours doesn't really count either. I ran 1542 uh, on a road race and 16 flat and cross. I, I just, I'm not a 5K runner. Yeah. What is your ideal distance? <laughs> Kirk and I were just talking about this. Twelve hundred meters. Okay. Twelve hundred. Easy answer. I ran. I ran eight hundred and fifteen hundred in college. Okay. Um, very mediocrely. If mediocrely is a, a word, I was I was a mediocre mid mid distance runner. I ran one fifty three in the eight and uh, ran three fifty seven in the fifteen hundred. Yeah. But twelve hundred. I split three hundred one in a twelve, and it was a sit and kick tactical three hundred one. Right. So I feel like twelve my. My yeah. range. So you guys are still faster than me. It's okay. I've had three babies. Ha! You guys cannot ha! do that. Uh -huh. I I helped create three babies. So <laughs> that's like one tenth of your work. <laughs> no, your your five k PR is significantly faster than mine. Aww. So that's that's too bad. I'm gonna have to PR. Now. I'm gonna have to run yeah. fifteen low this. See, you now. can still do it. There's no way I'd be able to get back there. And that I don't want to be like, you know, unmotivating, but. I, there's no way. So. Well, I know my 800 mile PRs have said, yeah. like I've never, I ran a hard road mile this summer and I felt so fast mm -hmm. and I ran 425 hey. and it was like, I was happy with that, but I thought like, I'm still 10 seconds off my PR and I'm never dropping. I know it's kind of, it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around there, but oh, well, such is life. So Kirk, do you have the fastest mile PR here and the fastest 5k PR? That's right, baby. <laughs> What'd you run in the 15? Uh, 352. Nice. Yeah, my sophomore year. And then I, I didn't really run it race. I got sick and I had some injuries. So that was my last real go around was then. But um, felt good about it then. Yeah. Was that when you had your mold stuff going on? Yeah, it was back when I was living in that shitty college house oh. and I was sick for a few years. Yeah. You sick for a few yeah. years? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I had. Uh, we don't need to dive too far into it, but I moved into this old house full of black mold in college. I moved in my junior year, and it knocked. I had to drop out of school. I knocked me out. Um, took away my running. Uh, it was brutal. Yeah. So I had a few years like where that like messed me up pretty good. That's crazy. So then, so then I kind of lost like the second half of my college mm-hmm. career, and then. So this is this Spartan stuff is my uh, my fun. second chance at yeah it's my fun yeah hmm. exactly. So making this all about me and my ego. I have no <laughs> PRs, overall PRs in this group of three right now. Why don't you just get off the podcast, Brack, and let Carrie and I talk? I can mute. For can the rest I of just this. tell you, I ran a 10 mile run this morning and there was like maybe an inch of snow out there everywhere. I mean, what you guys do through mud now and, you know, over obstacles, like I am shot. My hip flexors, my hamstrings, like I don't do, you, you would both be really mad at me because I don't do any strength work right now. I just, I run, and if I only have 20 minutes to run a day, then I'll run, and you know, I get in the shower and get working. Um, today, I had a little bit extra time because you guys were nice to me, and you pushed the podcast to 9:30, so I cranked out an hour and 20 minutes. It took about eight minutes per mile because it was so slushy out there, and that drives me crazy. But I am so sore. So, you guys in the Spartan world are crazy. I love it. We're just talking. Our podcast that's coming out just before this is on winter mm-hmm. running. And talking about dealing with snowy conditions and how your body really knows effort rather yeah. than pace. And like this time of year, getting out and doing your 10 miles and slipping a little bit in place is like really good for like run efficiency once the pavement dries out and building like strength in your stride. So your last exact grandmas will be less terrible <laughs> because of your slush. So I'm running a 5k at grandmas. I do the commentary for the marathon. Oh, um, okay. And but I have put in the put out there to the whole universe that I want to break 120 and 250 in the next year. Now I'm not sure if that'll happen, but oh, you yeah. know there are some goals. So it might not happen at grandma's, but yeah, I mean I have to start building that. I just texted Heather and Ben Camp. I don't know if you guys know them, but Heather's like the queen of the road mile. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. And she's still competing for the Olympics and they train with me a lot. And I just said, sent them a text after today's run because I could tell they were pulling me along. Right. I mean, they're still really fit. And I said, thanks for doing this. You know, reminder that I have these goals and it's fun for me to get my butt kicked by people like you. (laughs) So Uh yeah, we'll see what happens. What pace exactly? I'm sure you know this. What is 250 flat? What pace? Well, I ran on my, my Garmin and my splits. It said 630 flat basically for 26.2 miles was 251.56. So just under 630. Um, to qualify yeah. for the Olympic trials, I think it's like 619 pace. And that's coming up obviously in February. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go and do my commentary. Lots of people were like, Harry, you could go and run like Cal International Marathon, which is a really fast marathon. They thought I should try make the trials. But you know, for me, Again, not to be kind of a Debbie Downer, but my that ship has sailed sort of for me. Um, I love competing. I love, you know, still racing hard at times, but the training and the effort and the devotion and the focus and all the stuff that goes into being a world-class athlete, I think that's okay for me to let go of that part of my life and now, you know, watch everyone else do it. So, Well, you led me into my next question, actually, so I'm glad you brought that up because as such like a high level athlete for so many years where so much energy and focus goes into your training and your day-to-day life. I want to know what it's like now that you're, you know, 43 and you have other endeavors. Like what it, what is life like now compared to life? Like when athlete was all you had to worry about? Oh, it's so different. I mean, I trained twice a day. I lifted, I did yoga. 
Uh, I took a nap, which sounds crazy, but you guys know as athletes, like that's the best way to recover for that second run um, or for the next day or whatever it is. Um, you know, eating is pretty similar. I never was really that fine tuned with my eating. Um, I love to eat and, you know, I like a can of pop here and there. Like I like a bag of chips. Like I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to love life. And I felt like if I love life, then I was going to really, you know, be ready to get after it and put it, put everything into it. Um, and if I restricted too much, it wasn't fun for me. So life really hasn't changed that way for me, but I would have to say work now has really put my running and I guess my training goals, probably fifth or sixth on my priority list. You know, I have three children, like we talked about, they're three, six and nine. Um, my husband does some Ironman competitions and he likes to do like hundred mile bike races and, and things like that. But I'm traveling a lot. And I think that's the hardest part for me is to find, I guess, as a, I'm sort of freelance and to find that, that rhythm of the everyday has been different for me since being an athlete. Mm, and you have your own podcast yourself, yeah. I believe. Yeah. That I've been on a few times here on the other side of the mic. How's the, how's the podcast? It's going going? well. What is it called? Tell the Yeah. Right. Uh, it's going well. We love it. I mean, it's it, that's kind of a labor of love for me. And it has been. We did the YouTube channels for years or the YouTube channel for years. And then we switched over to podcasting. And, you know, we have some things in the works to hopefully expand it and to keep it growing. But I think my favorite part is just being able to have that conversation with people like you guys that are motivated to live life and to be healthy and, and inspiring people. And um, so it's been a real thrilled to do it. But it's also been really good for my commentary in the, the track and field and road racing world, uh, you know, to be able to have those intimate conversations with people, whether we're on the run, like you and I do, Kirk, when we get you on the podcast, or if it's just conversations like this, I think it's really important to have. Do you know that um, it, we did a one when you started your video series, which is on YouTube, you guys should go look up C Tolly Run. That's uh, Carrie's channel. Um, we did a strength training for runners segment. And still to this day on YouTube, if you type in strength training for runners, it has the most views of any strength training for runner segment. I looked it up this morning, has 782,000 views. It's crazy. No, I was like, I can't, did I say in that video, I was like right post having a baby. Yeah, you made me put a dumbbell under my shirt and walk around. Cause you could still see, like <laughs> I had this baby belly still. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't say that, but you were just, yeah, you were just, you just had a, had a, had a yeah, yeah, there were other things that were enhanced as well in that video. So I was, uh, the, go, go check well, it the, out. I don't look like I did. I did that. The biggest critique of the video is I make you pick up a hundred pound dumbbell at the end and just carry it around. And people, people were harping on how much, how bad that was for your back. Oh, and you were like, you did, we were just, we just joking around, but yeah. But now we now we actually carry around those heavy dumbbells yeah. in training, which is kind of life silly, has changed you know. a little bit in the in the you know fitness world. Sure has, sure has. So you obviously took your fitness seriously leading up to and through pregnancy. Then did. did you? What was your kind of what was your mentality through that? How did you approach pregnancy? You know, obviously baby first, and I wanted to come back from pregnancy, so I wanted to make sure that I was healthy. But I worked out every single day, pretty much, unless it was just like off. Oh, I didn't feel like it that day or my back was sore or something was funny, but I worked out as much as I could all the way through all three pregnancies. And I was lucky. I mean, I, I really had good pregnancies. 
Um, and I came back fast, but I will say that workouts like Kirk put me through, you know, that's what I did on my own. I was pulling sleds, weight sleds with Bill Welly. Um, some of you might know Bill, I don't know if you do Kirk, but he works with a lot of the NFL guys and some of the endurance athletes. And, um, I was pulling sleds through my first pregnancy all the way up until eight months. And then he backed me off because he was a little nervous. I'd go into labor doing lunges or things like that. So he was, he's like, okay, now it's up to you to just go to the gym on your own, have fun. But I will say the strength training, I think is what made me drop my weight so fast. I wasn't necessarily all the mileage running. Cause I, I probably only ran 20 miles a week when I was used to running 80 at that time. And, um, so I ran as much as I could, but I only felt real good through like three or four miles. So I did that probably four or five times a week. And I strength trained hard three times a week. And, you know, everyone drops their weight at, you know, at different times, but I would have to say that I think the strength training is really what made me kind of tighten back up and, and get moving again. I think that's important to hear for mothers, either current or soon to be. My wife had the same. We have we have three mm -hmm. as well, Carrie. We have two, four, and six. Yeah. And she had the same mentality. I'm going to run as long as I can yeah. run, and I'm going to strength train all the way up through it. And and I think that like anything else, it's a like birth is a kind of like a competition. It's like this big event. Mm -hmm. And the more prep you do beforehand, the quicker you bounce back afterwards. Exactly. She, she found that. Sounds like you found that that. There's a fear of doing too much, but I think the, the human body is kind of crazy and most people can get away with a lot more, at least activity mm -hmm. while they're pregnant than you would anticipate. Like you said, sled pulls through eight yeah. months. I think my wife stopped running at mm -hmm. eight. She started rolling her ankles a ton with all the extra elastin in the mm -hmm. system and everything. Um, but I, I think that the women who, who back off too much actually have tougher births. Mm -hmm. And then tougher recoveries afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I really, I enjoyed working out. And like I said, it wasn't at the level I was used to. It was still pretty, <laughs> there was some pretty intense days. I was on the underwater treadmill a lot during my first and second pregnancy. And I loved that. I mean, I could do really hard workouts. I got my heart rate up high, but there was no pounding. You know, they, they rose the water as I got heavier. So I started at like 60% of my, bo my body weight. And then by the end, they had the, the water up so high, I was about 80% of my body weight. So I was pretty light in there. But um, I mean, I came back fast. I did take four weeks after each baby though. And I had natural births. Um, I did not run for four weeks. I walked, I kind of, you know, just got to know my baby. And that was my agility. That was Bill Welly, my agility's coach recommendation. He said, get to know your baby your body will come back. And you know, you push too hard, you'll get hurt and you can't do it. And I'm really thankful I didn't have any stress fractures in my back, like a lot of women get. Um, I didn't have any ab issues, I could do my core, you know, four to six weeks later. And, um, you know, I was back racing within four to six weeks. I mean, I didn't, I didn't run for four weeks, but I jumped in the grandma's 5k at four weeks post, and didn't run super fast, but I was still doing things I loved. So it was awesome. I wish I could have more, but that's that ship has sailed too. Yeah. <laughs> how much uh, how much merit is there to you often see women run uh, PRs uh, within like a six month time period of giving birth? Is there merit to that? Do you feel like that was possible for you? Um, you know, for me, I think it was more mentally like I tried to come back after Ruby and run pretty fast. And I really didn't enjoy the travel of being away from her. It, I think I was just at that point in my career where I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to still be world class, but I didn't want it bad enough. And you have to want it 
bad enough, bad enough, and then some to be world class. And so I can remember being in Portland, Oregon, getting ready to try to qualify for the trials in 2012. She was born in 2011. And I was laying on the floor at someone's um, in-laws house because we, you know, we're just crashing there. And um, thinking to myself, Charlie and Ruby are back home and I'm laying on a blow up mattress, getting ready to run a race in Portland. Like, is this really worth it to me anymore? And five years earlier, it, there would have been no other way to live life. Um, so I do think there's some merit to running fast if you have the gumption to do it. And I didn't have that, but I've seen it. And it's really special, I think, when people come back from pregnancy. I think so many moms love it. And I do too. I love those stories. And I think the kids love it. You know, they love seeing their moms, you know, do so well and work so hard for something. That's a good take on that. I like that. That, you know, the, the mindset might change afterwards, mm -hmm. but the physical ability is still there. And it's not, it's not wrong. You know, like mm -hmm. I had my time. I actually, we delayed having babies for many years. Charlie and I had been married for seven years and he wanted kids right away, but he also wanted me to see my potential, you know, all the way through. And, um, I think when I made that Olympic team for the first time, that was really fun. I missed it in 2008 because of pneumonia. I had pneumonia three weeks before the trials. And, um, you know, I think after that and some injuries, life just kind of shifted for me. So we, we put it off. And then when we were ready, we were really ready to have kids and, uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. It was awesome. So the one thing you can't train are your priorities. Yep. Like you, you, you know that moment it changes, the shift has occurred and there's nothing you can do about mm -hmm. that. Exactly. But Kirk, that, that uh, birth thing, that's actually the original blood doping. Right. So more blood volume, right? Germans, they used to uh, do late-term abortions mm -hmm. in order to get the super increase of red blood cell contents and everything, which is kind of crazy when you think about you gave up uh, your your career essentially after getting to that point of having a baby, feeling what that feels mm -hmm. like, not wanting to be away, that there's the opposite end of the spectrum out there that people are so dedicated, they'll give up the baby yeah. for the Olympics. Yeah, they, um, I, I would have to say the, you know, the research that I've seen or done, um, you know, I don't know if it's so, so much that having a child makes you run faster. I think it's more so, I mean, I know there is some physiological reasons why you can, but I do think it's more like the heart that wants to get back and wants to, you know, see where they, where, what they can do now with this new child in their life and just this new excitement of getting back out there. So it's pretty cool when it happens. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Carrie, I wanted to jump back. Something that I've been curious about, and I don't know any Olympic athletes personally other than yourself. Um, I, I know. And so I want to know what that experience was like for you. Like that is the biggest stage that you can be on. And I believe you made the semifinals in the yes. 1500. So you, so you got through a couple of rallies. You, you scowled I there. like it. Uh, second person out of the final. And it drives me crazy because four women got uh, busted in that final. Oh, they mm. did. So you deserve, deserve to well, be there. So I well, think yes, so. you did. <laughs> but Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. But I'm I want to know about like if you just had to give me what that whole experience was like being at the, the epitome of our sport. And then for a runner, that's as good as it gets going to the Olympics. Like, how would you describe that experience? Surreal. I mean, I still, you know, if you've listened to my podcast, I announce every time, Hi, I'm Olympian Carrie Tollefson and welcome to see Tolly Run. Like, it doesn't get old. Every single time <laughs> it doesn't get old. And I don't care if someone else thinks it's getting old, like it 
is one of those, um, you know, those goals that we all have in life. And if you finally get it, you kind of want to shout it from the rooftop every single day. And, you know, it wasn't just for me. I mean, a lot of, I think, athletes and um, people that are working so hard for something, they have this team behind them. And, you know, first and foremost, my family was always willing to come and we would go to Kenosha, Wisconsin, for instance, to do the Foot Locker regionals. And, you know, like they all did that on Thanksgiving. You know, we all were in Kenosha, Wisconsin, eating some kind of restaurant Thanksgiving meal so I could race. And, you know, I think that was one of my favorite memories as they all came over to Athens to watch me race. And, um, you know, they it was just as exciting for them as it was for me. So uh, pretty special. But I, the way I think that I made the Olympic team was pretty cool. I missed the 5K, which was my best event. I had run 1504 that year. It was the seventh fastest time in history. It was everyone thought we should book our tickets. We were going to Athens in the 5K. And I ended up getting sixth in that race. And it's the top three in our country in each race that make the team. So then I came back and won the 1500 meters and kind of a I led start to finish basically in kind of a crazy way. And, you know, it wasn't my event, but I made the team. So you just go, right. You go and take the opportunity. And um, yeah, I loved every minute of it. I loved sitting in the cafeteria seeing it because I love to eat, but also because <laughs> I could see every ethnicity, every size of an athlete, you know, it wasn't just like me, a five, five, nine, one twenty girl. There were, men and women that were all kinds of sizes. I saw Yao Ming walk in and the US gymnastics team was right behind him. And I'm like, how cool is this? You know, Serena and Venus Williams were sitting right down from me and Serena's hair was like huge. It was like all brushed out. And you just couldn't miss this woman who is obviously one of the best athletes we'll ever see in our lifetime. And um, it just felt so cool to be a part of that and to be sitting at the same table as these athletes. Did you feel like it, you were treated any differently? Like it had a different feel than any big like national or world championships? Was it like you were, I don't know, they laid out the red carpet for for an athlete or was it like any other race? The no, I definitely did feel different. You know, when we landed in Athens, all the signs said, welcome home, because that's where the first Olympics were held. And I remember I was with one of the sparring partners of... Um, Oh gosh, how come I'm blanking on his name? The wrestler from Iowa. Um, oh gosh, well, it'll come to me. But anyway, one of the sparring partners of the wrestlers and I said, oh, he's an Olympian. <laughs> and I am a blonde <laughs> and I'm a little dizzy at times. And he said, so are you and you will be for the rest of your life. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am. Like those moments hit me and and then, yes, they kind of treated us like royalty. We were getting all kinds of gear for, you know, the U.S. team. I was on Entertainment Tonight. I was, you know, I went over and had this. We were on the island of Crete, and they put the track team over there to keep us safe. We had so we had um, Secret Service with us. I mean, it was, yeah, we. it felt like it was a different experience, and I, I'll never forget it. It was awesome. I always envision that um, the Parade of Nations – being some sort of like, I don't know, out of body, surreal experience walking, I don't know, along with all the eyes on you. How was that? Amazing. So my dad gave me a couple pieces of, of advice that wasn't just for the, the race, because he and I always talked racing. But he said, 
when you go out for the opening ceremonies, try to get by the NBA guys and always wave at every yeah. single camera. <laughs> so I was like, okay, dad, I can do this for you. So the middle distance runners, all of us got in front of the NBA guys just by chance. Like they were right. Like LeBron James was literally right behind me and Allen Iverson and a bunch of other guys. And, uh, so we were on camera the entire time because they obviously wanted them. And that to me was one of my favorite moments, Kirk, because they were nervous for how the U S was going to be accepted when we walked in because we were at war and it was pretty dangerous for us at that time. So they were like, just, you know, just be careful and, you know, enjoy it, but be, you know, be diligent and look, you know, be on the lookout. So we didn't know if we'd get booed. We didn't know what happened. Well, we walk out and just every single flag was being flown for us, waving. Um, the lights were blinding. So many people were taking pictures of our team. And I remember taking these cameras because we didn't have cell phones, but we had these little MP3 cameras and or players, or whatever, with a camera. And I was doing like a panoramic view and I went around and I had to like tilt my camera up because LeBron was right behind me and he's so much taller that all I got was his USA on his chest and I tilted it up and there were tears streaming down his face, just like mine. I mean, I was like a blubbery mess, but I thought in that moment, this multimillionaire man that could have anything in life, he was still so honored to be there and to be representing our country. And he was young and, um, but it just, that, that moment was really cool. And I did wave at every camera and I think I got on like a highlight reel for NBC. So like every day NBC put on the Olympic stuff. I was like, one like, ah, so it was good. That was a win-win. I did win there. I didn't win the race, but I won because I got on camera for my dad. That's awesome. That any athlete knows that there is nothing more satisfying than a personal victory, but there's nothing cooler than being part of a relay or a team success. And that's how I always envision the Olympics. Like that, in that moment, you grasp what national pride oh, is totally. and what it means to be part of your country and with their flag on your chest and walking out being announced as that, that just always like, that would be the epitome of being an athlete is that moment. Well, and that's what I think when they were saying, Kira, you are an Olympian, like you will be for the rest of your life. There's, you know, people say former Olympians, they're, they're really not supposed to say that. Like that's the whole, there's this whole like saying never former, always an Olympian. And, um, you know, I just, it was such an honor. Like it felt like I knew I had to work super hard to get there, but once I got there, it was something other than my hard work and my devotion to the sport. It was like, I get to do this for Minnesota and I get to do it for the U S and, um, I could just feel the love over there. I mean, I had so many emails and I had so many people, you know, calling my mom and dad or wearing shirts back in Dawson, Minnesota, where I grew up a town of 1600 people. Um, yeah. And I still have people saying, Carrie, I remember watching you or I was four years old and my mom had me watching you. Like I didn't win the thing. Right. And usually that's where all the glory goes, but people still think it's pretty special. And that to me is awesome. It is special. I think about Bracken, did you, you went to nationals a few times in college, right? Yeah. Division three. And yeah. I did as well. And I just remember how I felt like calling your name and you're running out to like, and I remember how special that moment was. And that's like a small division three oh, nationals. So huge. And I could, I just, well, right. But I just, if, to, to just like put yourself in your shoes coming out at that moment, that gives me yeah. the chills. Mm -hmm. Like that is, you just can't replace that feeling. No, I, I did. My, 
again, my dad said, take a moment on that start line and look around and know where you're at. And I did. I was the only American in the 1500 meter that year. Nobody else got the standard. And Mm -hmm. I remember just kind of for that moment. And when they announced my name, he said, don't, you know, do like a farmer blow or, you know, like don't be (laughs) praying at that moment. You can pray after, but when they announce your name, smile and wave because it might not happen again. And I did that. And I'm thankful because we have pictures of me on that start line. And, you know, I could see myself on the jumbotron and, and I thought in that moment, oh my gosh, millions of people are seeing me right now. You know, because how many people watch the Olympic Games? And I wish I could go back, but it's not going to (laughs) happen. Your dad uh, sounds like a bright man. You seem to bring him up a bit. Is he sort of your voice of reason? Oh, my mom and dad, my two older sisters. You know, I I know I'm 43 and I need to get over it sometimes. But I just think when you have such a tight-knit family and people that support you from day one, you know, they, they had such a huge part of everything that I've done and what my sisters have done in life. So yeah, I love them to pieces. I've been sure lucky. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this as a parent. Like I, I want to do it right. And Charlie, even I think it's harder for Charlie because he sees the athletic ability that, you know, we've had in maybe my family. And I think he sees the fun that we've had in it and he's doesn't want to screw that up. And he is a very good athlete himself, but they didn't have quite the same maybe emphasis on athletics and on his side. And so he's, he and I both are like, well, how do we do this thing? So we go to my mom and dad a lot and just say, how'd you do it? And why did you do this or that? And how'd you keep it fun for us? So they're special people. There's he's, my dad just turned 72 and then he's still working out. He just did the um, November project uh, early in the morning on his birthday. He came and ran with me and then he did yoga. I mean, the man's crazy. My mom's right there with him. So <laughs> There's nothing better than yeah. that. Carrie, we actually just bought the house next door to my parents oh. for those exact same reasons because so we were brought up in that same environment and like there's not there's not a better way to model your parenting than after parenting that you've seen work and we just thought like there's no sense being far like so every day next door figuring out like how do we do this? How do we that do is, this? And think of that compliment that you have given your parents like that's the best. My mom and dad are a four mile away, four mile run away. They're not far, but that's awesome. I would rather have them right next door. Well, and so many successful athletes are there because of their parents, but it's not always a good there. Yep. You know, you, you see the examples of people that they make it and their relationship is gone because mm-hmm. of it, because they've been driven from day one. And it sounds like you had a similar environment to mine, which was you were allowed the opportunity to pursue whatever you wanted with all the support you could ever need without like an iron rod driving. Yeah. And you know, and that's rare. It is rare. My dad was a college football player. Excuse me. My dad was a college football player and you know, he had that work ethic, but my mom didn't have the opportunity to play sports. And I think she would have been a killer athlete, like really good. She is so focused. She is the lady that during the sweet 16, she's got every you know, um, screen on in her place with different games. She's got earphones in like she's, she's the one that is telling everyone who to put on their, their lists and all that, their brackets. But, um, you know, we always talked about what went well in a race or in our basketball games or whatever event we were doing. And we always talked about how we could work on it. So they were very real. Uh, and I also remember going out to Villanova university 
and calling home the first semester, super sad because I missed them. And I missed everyone. I missed everyone in my small town. And I would cry a lot. And my dad finally said to me, if you aren't going to stop crying and realize that you are at the best school in the country where you can race and run and you're given this opportunity, then I'm going to bring you home because he's like, I can't handle hearing you cry anymore. Like he, it wasn't that he didn't miss me. We all knew we all missed each other, but he was like, you have this opportunity. So you need to kind of suck it up and do something with it or else come home. And in that moment, I needed that tough love and I still need that tough love and I like it. And I like it from my coaches and I like it from my parents. Dad's given you a few talks over the oh, years, hasn't he? So many talks, you know, uh-huh. and mom too. Yeah. When was the moment, just to speak when you were a little bit younger, when was the moment you knew you were a runner, like you had something special? Is there an aha moment where you were like, yeah, this is yeah. my jam? Well, I remember in eighth grade being the fastest eighth grader in the country. <laughs> because do you remember that? No big deal. <laughs> That'll, that'll do it. <laughs> That's how I found out I was the fastest because I was the no, fastest. Because there was a list and it said I'm the fastest. <laughs> I'm not just saying wow. that because I was like because I was a fastest eighth grader, but I had run the fastest you- time, and it's it was in this magazine that came out one time a year, and that it was that year when I was like, oh wow, I did run pretty fast. Now some schools weren't allowed to run in eighth grade, so there was that, and then in tenth grade I think I had run one of the fastest times. But I was in denial until about 10th grade because I really wanted to be a basketball player. Um, I loved it. My center actually went on and played pro. So we had a good team. We got beat every year at our section final or whatever, regionals, what it was back then. We got beat by the state champs. So we never made it to state. And But we had a really good team. So I just kind of always wanted to believe I was going to be a basketball player. But I think by 10th grade, I sort of knew I was good. I had competed in the Foot Locker Championship, so I knew I could run with the best in the country. And yeah, I loved it from day one, but I just didn't know it was going to be my sport until probably then. Didn't you win the cross country Minnesota state title as an eighth grader? Yeah, the high school I title? Did. <laughs> I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> little, little, little creepy stalkers for me. So I've been doing a lot of indoor work this off season okay. because I'm dealing with an injury right now. And I've been watching every race possible to get me through on my session. I just have this TV in front of my treadmill and my bike. And I just, so it got me on this rabbit hole of races and I stumbled upon GRIAC and Kirk ran at GRIAC. I ran at GRIAC. I'm sure at some point you ran at GRIAC. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I watched it, but it was the year Grace Ping won as a seventh grader. Mm -hmm. And that took me down this rabbit hole. And I realized you did the same thing, but at a state meet. And then you were the first person to win five consecutive state Mm -hmm. meets. So I was watching this girl like, man, this, this just doesn't happen. And it turns out like six days later, I'm talking to the first person that ever <laughs> happened to. What was that stage like as a middle schooler competing against like grown women at, you know, in high school and, and being able to hold your own? I think the best thing for me was when I was in seventh grade, I had a, a sister that was a senior in high school and she was one of the best hurdlers in the state of Minnesota. So I, I hadn't like, I just followed suit from my two older sisters, you know, watching them compete. And then Cammie, the middle sister who was on the team with me, you know, seeing her compete for state championships, like that just became the norm in our family. Like, that's what you do. You go to state and you run track. And so I think for me, um, I just was trying to be like her. And 
I wasn't a sprinter though. So that was good for us in track season, but it wasn't good for us in cross because in my very first race as a seventh grader, I beat my sister. And, um, <laughs> but she will say it was, you know, it's fine. It, you know, she, she didn't really get too mad at me. She actually was really, really sweet about it. But um, I owe a lot to her. I always say it was because of that race that really kind of opened my eye to the world of running. Um, but I think that, you know, winning as an eighth grader, I didn't really know what I was doing except for just, like I said, following suit and trying to play the game. You know, I think a lot of people think so much in running. We're not supposed to think. And, you know, in basketball, we know we score the most points you win. And that's the, that's the point in running. However, there's only one winner when there's, you know, 200 kids on the line. So we have to figure out how to have personal wins. And so for me, I did try to beat my times. I tried to beat people that I had beaten, I tried to then extend the lead. Like I always was playing games within that. And that's what kept me excited and fired up about the sport. Now I did change. I grew seven inches one year. I put on 20 pounds. A lot of people were like, oh, she, you know, she stayed the same. She didn't, you know, develop like every other girl does. And they always say these young girls don't run well as they, as they get older. And I just, I really wanted to kind of debunk that. I wanted to show people that you could be good as an eighth grader and continue on. And that really was my driving factor for many years. I wanted to prove people wrong. I wanted to prove the newspapers wrong because they always wrote about it. They were like, oh, this girl's going to beat Tullifson this year or this girl's going to, you know, end the streak. And I just started using that to fuel me. That's tricky. It's it's such a, it has to be a like a dark cloud on the horizon for a young female runner because as men you know like the moment i develop i start hitting my prime and i'm going to be better every year after this and i you know i just have to wait until yeah. i grow we were late bloomers in my family i knew like i just have to wait a couple of years and i'm just going to keep oh. getting better but the stigma of a teenage runner is as soon as you develop you are going to lose whatever that magic you had when you were a yeah. girl and then once you become a woman you're slower so that, that that's that's really cool to hear that you use that as your. Well, favorite. and I don't know why we have to, and that's exactly what I try to tell my athletes at my camp. I have a big camp in the summer here in Minnesota. And I'm like, why do we have to think that way? Why do we have to think that because a female becomes a woman and, you know, maybe puts on some weight, why, why is that a bad thing? Like that's more muscle. That's more gravity to drive us forward. Like that, I don't know. I don't understand why we should look at it as it a negative and I get it. It, it sometimes it doesn't always work well for people, you know, it, it just takes time. But I think what I've learned after speaking to so many elite athletes about this, female athletes, is that if people can just ride that wave of learning how to adjust, they will see that you can get past it. And I think I did ride that wave. Actually, my basketball game was the one that was affected way more than my running. And my shot was all wonky and I had to figure out how to dribble as fast as I could run. Like it was, it was like, and my ball was always, you know, back by my hip rather than out in front of me. And so, you know, that actually was harder for me, but we don't talk about that. We never talk about that in basketball, that girls change. We only talk about it in running. And I kind of wish we would just stop and just like, let it happen. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. And, and be, be vocal about it. Like there is a sticking point. Mm -hmm. Like you change, there is a regrouping period, but it is a stage. Yeah. It is not the final chapter. You regroup, you get used to the new frame, yep. and you move on, and now you accelerate. And again. use it to your benefit. Yeah. 
my again, our, I see a lot of parallels with our family. My dad was a college football player okay. as well. And my mom was a stud athlete and my older siblings were stud athletes. So again, it was what was expected, but the message was always driven home to us. Like you do not have to be the best. You do not have to be the most talented. You just simply have to mm-hmm. outlast everyone else because you're going to have people that have to go start jobs or they find relationships that pull them away or they get injured or they reach those sticking points where they just don't ride mm-hmm. it out. And you, like, you, who cares? You, your talent level is your talent level, but people are going to drop off. You just have to ride out that wave and just outlast everyone around yeah. you. Eventually, you're just going to be the last person standing because people have lost interest or their way for whatever reason. And I think that that you're right. That message is not yet delivered to developing female runners in particular. Yep, I agree. I, I just think we never talked about that in my family. We never once, I never heard my mom and dad say, Carrie, you're going to become a woman and you're going to get hips and you know, it's going to be harder for you. Not once. If anything, my mom would have said, you are going to show those people that you can run with those hips and you can do this and that. I mean, she'd get so fired up. It was so funny, but you know, she just would say, come on, like, let's think about the positive. Like if I had negativity come out of my mouth, both of them squashed it right away. Like go upstairs and come back down when you can be positive. Like, I don't want to hear that, you know? And if I was having a bad day or bad race, cause believe me, it happened. There were plenty of times But I think the one thing that my mom always said, and it's funny because every mom thinks their kids are the cutest kids in the the world, but she always had fun with me. And if I had a rough day, she would say, well, you were the prettiest one out there. And to me, that (laughs) took it all away because you know what? My mom loved me no matter what. And I just needed that kind of, you know, hug or whatever it was. And, you know, you just got to keep it light. So yeah, parents, coaches. that's still what we tell. Yeah, right? after hard days. It is. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know who else thinks you're the prettiest one? According to uh, Sports Illustrated, oh, stop it. you were the, you were voted the fourth most beautiful athlete in the world in 2006. Yep. So your mom and Sports Illustrated think so. Is that like making the Olympics or is that like missing the finals? No, can I, no, what's a bigger um, deal? Can I just, who are these, who are these other three women Anna Kornikova that beach yeah <laughs> they're on your wall no. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, go board. look them up and it's all these women that made millions off of that stuff I didn't get one dang thing from that stack well I did my sisters and my mom said they were the three in front of me that's what they just kept saying they're like yep you've always been number four in this family looks like that's how it is yeah but their personalities <laughs> no sure. they don't but yeah, um, oh, that was a pretty funny stat. Actually, if you saw the pictures, I don't even think it's probably up on the internet anymore, but I had like a little piece of spit or sweat on my face. Everyone else had these like Maxim photo shoots. Like it was like, I'm sure people were like, how in the heck did she make this list? Seriously. It's from that farmer blow yeah. you were doing just before hey, the shoot. It did yeah. happen. I did plenty of those. I did one today on my run. <laughs> I want to step back to something you said earlier. You talked about how the missing the 5K um, at trials. What well, you said, you took sixth mm-hmm. at Olympic trials when you were supposed to win it or or, or definitely qualify, and then hopping back into the 15 and qualifying. That's something that we see happen all the time. Uh, Clayton Murphy, I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with Clayton Murphy. He did that. He was the new hotshot coming out of college in the mile, and he missed the mile trials, and or he didn't. What did, he didn't have the standard, whatever it was. He missed the mile trials and he hopped into the eight yep. instead, qualified, and then took silver yeah. in Rio. And 
I've had a few of things like that happen in my life. I think Kirk has as well, that sometimes you prep for a different distance. You get into a routine with that distance and then you drop down to something else in your first two races, you just knock out of the park because you're, you're not obsessed over it. You're fresh. You can go out and attack with a different style and you've built up a complementing skill set. So I guess just, just kind of go on that. Did, did you find that you were shocked by the 15 or looking back, did it make sense why suddenly you could race a great mile after your 5k? Prep? Oh, I definitely think the reason why I was good at the 1500 went throughout my entire career was because of my 5k work. You know, I mean, I did some fast workouts where more, maybe more 800 meter, 1500 meter workouts, but really I think the endurance side of it for me was really why I was good at the 1500. I mean, 406 is not going to get you any place here now, like in the world of running anymore. But then it was middle of the pack. And that's probably what I was about. I maybe could have run like a 403 on a perfect day. But, um, you know, I really wasn't a true 1500 meter runner. And so I think that that endurance really helped me in that race. But I really believe the power of the mind is important. And I think I won that race because of my mind and how tough I was and able to attack it. I broke that race up into four different words. I had four different words for each lap. And even though it's a three and three quarter lap race, I just had four different word cues and I kept repeating it every, anytime something negative came in my mind, immediately I went to that word cue and I just kept thinking about having the USA across my chest. And I think when you can visualize and dream about something like I did, I had Charlie made the, uh, a cool like wooden plaque for me to slap basically every time I left the house uh, on my runs, my training runs, and it had the American records and the Olympic standards that I had to make. And so, you know, for every day for years, I thought about that Olympic trials. And when I didn't make the 5k, well, I got to go back and do it in the 15. So I do think sometimes in life, when we have those disappointing moments, we come back so strong. And after that eight days of my life of the Olympic trials in 2004, it changed me. Like I, I know I can handle tough things in life and it seems silly cause it's just a race. But when you work so hard for that one moment in your life, it it's pretty life changing. Well, sports are a microcosm of mm -hmm. life. And that's that, that there's not one thing you'll ever encounter in sports that don't translate, that doesn't translate to something specific in the bigger spectrum of life exactly. and getting through those extreme highs and lows in a safe place, like athletics, lets you go through like decades worth of life living in just a few days. Yeah, You, you don't in, in real life to have an extreme low and high like that, you, that'd be dangerous. For sure. And you might experience it over five or 10 years, but you got it in an eight day cycle. Mm -hmm. And then you could translate that to the rest of your life, which is a cool, it's a, it's a cool opportunity afforded to athletics. Yeah. I think it's something that's overlooked when people say, you know, athletics aren't life. Uh, no, but they're exactly how you prepare. For yeah. Them. I just watched the Lindsay Vaughn documentary actually last night. And it was amazing to hear her dad talk about uh, what things that I think about a lot. Like we used to have to be in the top two in our event to get health insurance. And I used to say that when I would go and do corporate speaking, like, you know, think of be, having to perform every year and be in the top two in your, in your company in order to get your health insurance. And think of how many people would bring their A game then to their work. And his, her dad, Lindsey Vaughn's dad said that like for years, you know, she had to to show up and perform and she had all this pressure 
And now later in life, like she's going to take that with her forever and she's going to do something amazing. And maybe she'll just ride the wave for a little bit and, you know, enjoy life and not have so much pressure, but you know, she's always going to have that. And it was pretty cool to hear him describe her, but I also kind of had some parallels with that. And, um, you know, I wasn't Lindsey Vaughn, but there were times where I saw that, you know, those wins or things like that. But I also saw the downside of injury like she did and losses. And um, I just know that I'm going to be a tough cookie no matter what. And the sport really has has shown me that and built the character in me to do that. Carrie, I want to um, I want to bring this forward to present day just a little more now. Um, here's a big struggle I feel like athletes have. For example, a collegiate athlete or a high school athlete, their whole life is consumed and their day-to-day -day routine is consumed with their workouts and their training. And, and then you have to make this tough transition into like life and like extending out what life is going to be beyond just identifying as an athlete. And I have to imagine that transition after being an Olympian and then coming into life, <laughs> right? And figuring out how to identify yourself, figuring out how to to like carry forward with like a new, a, the same sense of purpose and kind of rediscovering that. I know you as like a liver of life, like your motto is mm -hmm. get after it. And I feel like you do that really well with life. And so how, how have you navigated that post Olympics and like kept your, a lot of people go into the dirt after they have athletic highs and career highs. So how, tell me more about that. Cause you seem to be doing all right. Well, I I'm doing all right, but it is tough. You know, like I, when I was competing, I had some ups and downs with injuries. And so I always was thinking about what happens when, you know, this sport's taken away. And I had a big injury in, in college where I had a tumor filled with donor bone. And it was really like, am I going to be able to run like I used to? I came back and did fine. But I had like some early, um, early moments in life in, in the sport where I thought this isn't always going to be here or it might be taken away tomorrow if I got hit by a car, I had a really bad injury, you know, things like that happened. So I was always trying to make sure I had a number of hats that I could wear. And I, after one of my big races as an early pro, I said to Tony Revis, who is a really, um, I mean, he's, he's been in the, the commentary world for years. I said to him, I want your job someday. And he remembered it. And within six months, he had me doing some rock and roll marathon commentary. And he just really was like, yeah, we need females in this role. Why not just give her a chance? I studied broadcast in college. And so as much as I could, I was speaking, I was doing commentary, I started my camps. Like I've always tried to have a hand in other things and not just be that athlete. And it's okay to just be the athlete. But I do think for me, it really kind of gave me the confidence to like, know there is something else I can do besides run fast in circles. And, um, you know, yeah. it's always scary though, Kirk, like, I don't know about you and you have your business now and, you know, you're now obviously starting the podcast and doing other things, but it's always scary wondering if one of these gigs will go away, what will happen, especially when you now start bringing kids in like Bracken and I have, like it's, uh, for me, I've always just wanted to make sure there was something on the horizon to go and do and to be good at. You know, like, I don't want to just be mediocre at things. I want to be good at things. And so I try to be passionate about my jobs. And, um, but it's scary. Even today on my run, you know, I travel so much and the kids are busy and I don't want to miss one basketball game. Even if they're six years old, I hate it. I want to see everything. 
And, you know, I keep thinking about what can I do in the future here when they really get busy. So I'm always thinking about three, four years down the road. And I think that's what athletes have to do. They have to think about today, but they also have to think about the future. Yeah. So you think that's the key to making a transition from an athlete to uh, life, so to speak. Cause I just, I hear this all the time as a personal trainer and coach, I get people that are a few years removed from college where they used to have an agenda or a, a, a career in sports, mm-hmm. so to speak. And they really struggle. So you think like planting, putting irons in the fire and working towards something else simultaneously to set you up for the next step is important. Would you, Most is that what you're definitely. saying? I mean, you know, it is in whatever, if you're in music, if you're in art, if you're in an, in something that you're, your passion can be taken away through injury, through illness, whatever. I think you always have to have a plan B, plan C, you know, and um, and just be creative. I think that nowadays it's different. You know, you get a career or you get a degree in school, but you use it in different ways. You know, you can make careers in so many different ways now. So I just think you can't you can't float through life. You have to be proactive and you have to you know, keep on pursuing things. And and those doors open all the time. Like I always think one contract goes away, but usually as I'm, you know, hearing this contract isn't going to be renewed, something else is sort of brewing. And that I think is a a fun way. And life scares me once, once uh, all these other things are done, what am I going to do? But I'm just going to keep on seeing what this girl's made of. Yes. The next pursuit. I think that's the thing that drives us as athletes. Goals are great to accomplish, but it's always the, the pursuit. pursuit. Yep. And pursuing something is so necessary for mm-hmm. humans. Yeah, I don't like floating at light in life. And I do sometimes, and I'm like, wait a second, that's not me. That's not how I was raised. That's not how I competed. And I'm gonna probably be that 70-year-old that's still trying to do something. But I, you know, I grew up watching my mom. She worked full time. She, you know, like I said, wasn't an athlete, but really loved it. And I think that that seeing a female like that really kind of um, be daring in life to have her own business at a time women didn't, you know, I just, I want to be like my mom and like all the ladies that did that. So Bracken, uh, Bracken has made his living and lived his life as a professional athlete for a few years now. What, what advice would you have for Bracken moving forward? What's the best way to approach this and keep living, living the dream? Yeah, Carrie? well, you need to take advantage of being fast still. You know, for me, I think I probably had some good years still in me, but I needed to figure out how to be that mom and maybe be a little bit more of a businesswoman and an athlete at the same time. And like we talked about how girls change, you know, you might have those ebbs and flows of, you know, life and whatever, but I think you just got to stick through it. And, and, you know, some weeks, some months might not be as good as the past, but you'll get through that. And you're doing things now you're doing this podcast. Like you're, you're kind of, you have your hand in other things. And so is this a planned intervention? Did you two yeah, talk about this? It beforehand? is. Carrie, we're already making millions. I know. I do too. Millions. All podcasters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're rolling in it. So don't worry oh, about us. You're going places. Bracken, you want to do the bell lap? Yeah, so bell lap, Carrie. This is it. We're, we're kind of wrapping oh. up here. Anything you have left in the tank, you got to empty on the bell lap. So, um, before we go, any questions, any last things on your mind, launch them out here. People you want to shout out, any things you want to bring to awareness. Oh, when are we going to do audience? a live podcast in the cities? I mean, let's go. Let's I think that's get mandatory. a brewery to do it well, and let's have one. Yeah, I saw you did um, Justin yeah. Grunwald, Gabe Grunwald's uh, widow. He had a, a hops for a cause or something yeah, at a brewery. Yeah, it was so fun. 
we do a lot for brave like Gabe. So yeah, we just had a we just taped. We just you know basically sat in front of the 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 whole crew, and we did an interview, and it was awesome. That's really cool. I might need your help with something. So Justin and I, I didn't know who Justin was until we started going back and forth on some Strava oh, segments yeah. uh, locally. I stole his, he stole mm. mine. I stole it back, he stole it back. He now owns it. And so we had this thing going with Justin, who is Gabe Grunwald's widow. And and uh, then I looked, I'm like, who is this guy? And I looked him up and I was like, oh crap. And it was only months after Gabe's passing. Anyways, we've started to chat a little bit, but I don't know him terribly well, but I have a lot of respect yeah. for him. And I'd love to have him on the podcast, but I don't know him as well. Oh, as yeah. He's do. a wonderful guy and been through so much and has so much to give. So, yeah, we'll we'll hook you up with him. And I wish everyone knew Gabe. She was amazing. And so go to Brave Like Gabe, you guys. If you don't know of Gabe, she had cancer for 10 years and um, she passed away this last June. But she ran through cancer. She ran through treatments. And she's spreading hope from heaven. And that's what Justin's doing. He's a doctor. And he's an ultra marathoner and a crazy fast runner. And, you know, it's um, it's amazing. They're going to have the Brave Like Gabe 5K. Uh, I think it's May 9th. So double check that date. Okay. But anyone who's in the Twin Cities area or they have a virtual 5K, you guys can do that and raise funds for rare cancer. I mean, they have raised so much money already and they're going to do some amazing things. So yeah. Well, Karen, maybe that week then, maybe that week I'll be up in the cities and we'll get our, our run podcast. There we go. We can do that for sure. Yeah. Well, Bracken had a fun little idea. You know how you do your oh, rapid yeah. fire questions at the end? Um, well, we okay. don't do that, but I you do that. that. How quick are you on the cuff? Do you have any all. rapid fire questions for, for me and You Bracken? take over the podcast oh. for the duration here and you rapid fire. Oh, Kirk okay. I. I can That's do that. Um, yeah. Bracken, okay, you can go first. Uh, mud puddles or sand pits? Oh, neither. I hate being dirty. Really? Seriously. Why do you do those races? Yeah. It's the only thing left to me that I'm good at, Gary. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, 400s or 200s? Four hundos. Pizza or donuts? Pizza. Def Leppard or Bon Jovi? Oh, my God. Neither with Bon Jovi. Okay. Um, you remember in college, Bon Jovi had this song, yes. Living on a Prayer? And he says, we'll give it a shot. That's how we got ready for our pregame. And every time he said, we'll give it a shot, we took a shooter to Bon Jovi saying that. And that puts you like three, four deep. Oh, and then my you go gosh. Out we, so watched, bon Jovi. we watched The yeah. Marine with John Cena. And you drank any time he flexed, did a wrestling move, or did something foolish. Oh, I'm learning all kinds of things from you, too, in this rapid fire session. Yep. Okay, marathon wow. or ultra marathon? Ultra. Longer, ultra. the better? And it's not on pavement. Oh, my gosh. Okay, uh, last one. Underwater treadmill. Don't know if you guys have done it. Or that incline treadmill that you like to do, Kirk. <laughs> Don't say it like that. You looked at me in disgust that is like so when you hard. said incline. 40% it goes up to incline treadmill. That has changed my, transformed my Spartan racing. So incline oh my treadmill. Gosh, you guys are awesome. All right, Kirk, I'm hopping in. Carrie, you're on the okay. hot seat. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to rapid fire her anyways, Kirk, even though we don't do this. Apparently we do. Go. Road or track? Road. Uh, Adidas Boost or Zoomax? Boost. Boost. Have you run in the Vaporflies? No. That would have been your OTQ no. right there. Your 251 would have been a 231. I don't know right if I there. like them, to be honest. I don't know if I like <laughs> no. them, but whatever. All right. If you had to come back as a professional athlete again, runner or basketball player? 
Oh, well, with the new stuff going on in the WNBA, it's pretty cool. Um, but probably still runner. I love the running community. Favorite track you've ever run on? Ooh, good question. Probably Athens was amazing, but I loved running in Rome because it was so old. It felt really old there in the stadium. So that was pretty cool. Favorite training shoe of all time? Oh, I, well, anything Adidas, to be honest. They have supported me Adidas girl? forever. Um, I loved the Brevards back in the day, and I don't know why I like them. That's they going were, way back. Yeah, they were so stiff that they probably weren't good for my foot, but I liked them. <laughs> I'm racing Saturday, and I'm in the Adios. Ah, three. Nice. Good luck. That's right. All right, final question. Post-race food of choice, food and drink. Definitely a chocolate milkshake because I have one every single day. Probably something like fajitas. I love fajitas. Homemade or Applebee's? Oh, homemade. Bring me to Mexico. Right. Authentic. I want to go there. Carrie, you've been a oh. fun guest. Thanks for taking the time this morning. You to guys are awesome. I'm so excited for this podcast. We'll have to get back on yours yes. now. It's been a few years. We'll have to go for another We will. Jaunt. When you guys are here together, let's all go. Okay. Maybe. Let's do it. Cool. Thank you, Carrie. The Running Public is brought to you exclusively by VJ Shoes. These shoes are off-road, trail training and racing, bulletproof, and they have the best grip on the planet. Best grip on the planet, hands down. Feet down. Feet down. Get yourself some. <laughs> Thank you.